Hi, my name is Lydia. And I'm Emma. And we're the hosts of Holy Ship. We are passionate about creating a space for women to talk about sexuality, their bodies, and all things relationships. We think that for so long, Christian spheres have often failed to address these topics with women in a healthy, shame-free, and open way. So welcome to Holy Ship, where we address all the taboo topics in a way that is honoring to you, your relationships, and God. Well, welcome back, everyone. Today, we are talking about menstrual cycles, ovulation, fertility, fertility awareness method, all that jazz. So it's going to be a great episode. And we are joined by Vanessa Oli, who is a nutritionist, fertility awareness method instructor, and functional health coach. Her work centers around women's health, menstrual cycle tracking and regulation, hormone healing, digestion, and helping women get pregnant naturally. So we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Could you just start off by telling everyone a little bit more about yourself, maybe like where you're living, how you got into this, all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in Toronto in Canada. So the way that I got into the work that I'm doing now, as most people in the health and wellness profession, is usually it stems from what we go through personally along our health journey. So for a number of years, I struggled a lot with having chronic acne, having difficult periods, difficult menstrual cycles. And I struggled a lot with my body image, my relationship to food. I struggled with an eating disorder for a really long time. So a lot of the work that I do now stems from that experience, what I went through, healing that journey, going through that, figuring out my relationship with food, learning about the beautiful thing that is my body and my menstrual cycle that we are never taught in school that blows my mind every single day. Maybe one day when like our kids have kids have kids, mm-hmm. that will be taught that will be taught. But pretty much I went through that. And once I was finishing up university in my last year, I was studying marine biology. And I wanted to be a marine biologist my whole life. I wanted to work for National Geographic. It was like my big thing. And then I started to really fall in love with health and wellness. And I started an Instagram account just for fun. I called it VS Fit Guide for like Vanessa Saskia. And I just posted workouts and fun little things. And it was just a little hobby passion of mine. And then as I got into my last year of university, I started to realize oh my gosh, I really love doing this stuff. Like I was talking to people about it. We were bonding over it. My girlfriends were getting interested. And then I started to just dream a little bit about what could a career look like in health and wellness for somebody like me? Like I had no idea. And I would just journal about, okay, what am I good at? What could I maybe make money at? What do people want to learn? Like, is there an intersection there? And then I found the Crestor Institute for Functional Medicine through podcasts that I listened to huge fan of podcasts, love them very much. They literally changed my life. So I'm very glad that you have one. Um, and I love Chris Cresser. He is the gentleman who founded that entire Institute. So I was like, you know what? I do not want to be a marine biologist. I have no idea what I'm going to do with this, but I really want to go into the health and wellness space. I want to help people that were just like me that struggle with the same kind of issues that I struggled with. And I want them to know that there are other ways of healing. We can heal from the inside out. There are a lot of things we need to know about our bodies, how to nourish them. So started there, fell in love with all of the material. It's very holistic health, integrative medicine centered. And then from there, I was like, wow, okay. Started my practice as a health coach, moved on to specialize more so in women's health and nutrition and fertility. And then I just went on to get a little bit more of the certifications, the credentials in that area. And then with practice and more education, I have the practice that I have now, which I'm very thankful for. Oh, that's awesome. And I will say selfishly, 
the reason we're doing this episode, well, one, lots of people in our community had questions about this, but I like never knew anything about like how to track your cycle. Like I tried the apps, you know, but I was like, so confused about like what it meant, how to even do that. And then I just like got off birth control and like, I had no idea like what being birth control would be like, what being off of it was like, like mm-hmm. I just had really no idea about anything. So I'm very excited to dig into these topics. I love <laughs> it. I love it. We deserve to know. We need yeah. to know. So I think my first question is, what do you think are the biggest myths or misconceptions about period and menstrual cycles? Absolutely. So I would say, first of all, is that your period is just the luck of the draw. I remember growing up, a lot of us grew up And if you personally aren't the person who experiences horrible menstrual cycles, you know, somebody who has Mm -hmm. someone in your grade, your family member, et cetera, or maybe it's you. And we just say, oh, that sucks for her. Like luck of the draw that that sucks to be her. But what we don't realize is that doesn't have to be the case. So a lot of the time we just take a really difficult, a really painful PMS heavy, very difficult, irregular menstrual cycle, sometimes no cycle at all. And we're like, well, that's totally normal. Just some people have horrible cycles. Some people have painful periods and others don't. And now we know that that is absolutely not the case. Unfortunately, we don't get this education when we're young mm-hmm. and maybe when we could use a little bit more, but better late than never. So what we need to know and what I wish we were taught was that usually that heavy, painful period, if you are struggling the week before your period and on your period, if you're experiencing things like headaches, nausea, moodiness, irritability, crying for no reason, painful cramps, if you're getting clotting in your blood, things like that, those are all signs that usually one or both hormones are out of balance when we're looking at estrogen and progesterone in the body. Those are two of the main hormones that govern your cycle. And I wish we were just kind of given that education to bust that myth Mm -hmm. that it just, it doesn't have to be a horrible, dreadful, painful period. A lot of the women I work with, or even women that I talk to on Instagram through email, whatever, it's like, wait, what? I don't have to suffer. Like, and I don't just have to take birth control to suppress my cycle. Like I can actually fix it. So I would say that is number one. And then number two is that we're always taught that pretty much all cycles are the same. 28 days is a typical cycle. You ovulate on day 14, bada bing, bada boom. That's all there is to it. (laughs) But that is so not the case. And that's a huge relief for a lot of women that they know, okay, I don't have to ovulate on day 14. My cycle is like a little snowflake. I'm different from everybody else. And as long as your cycles within about 24 to 36 days, you're healthy. So if you're in that early thirties range, you don't have to stress. So I find that gives some women and some mentoring individuals, a lot of relief when they learn, okay, my cycle doesn't have to be only 28 days. And I don't just have to ovulate on this one day. Like you're not broken. I would say those are two of the main myths that I see. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Growing up, I was always taught sometimes you just have painful periods. That's like normal kind of sucks, but you just go with it. Exactly. My next question then would be, how do you actually track your cycle or even know how many days it is like, is it your actual period? Is it like the whole like month? How does that work? Yes. Okay. So another super important thing is just getting basic terminology, right? When does your cycle begin? When we talk about your cycle, are we talking just about your period? Like, how do I know when the beginning is and when the end is? So first things first, first day of your cycle is the first day of a full red bleed. So if you spot before your period, your new cycle hasn't started yet. So that's something that people notice quite a bit. If you spot before your period, hold off on counting that as your first day, wait until you need a pad, a tampon, period undies, a cup, et cetera. And it should be full red blood. So not like that brown blood or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So first day of a full red bleed, first day of your period is also the first day of your cycle. So nice and easy. 
And then the last day of your cycle is just the day before your next period. So ideally we're not spotting at that time, but if we are, that's all cool. It might be a couple days, but the day before your next full red bleed is the end of your cycle. So that's kind okay. of how we get a sense of like where it begins and where it ends. And then when we're looking at ovulation and tracking that, cause of course we can track our period pretty mm-hmm. easily. And it's also really important that we are tracking our flow. So I always say in my teaching that your period is like a report card for your previous cycles, hormonal activity. So it's great for you to pay attention to how much you bleed, what color it is. Are there any clots in there? How big is it? Your symptoms, like really dive into it, pay attention to your body on your period because you will be mind blown how much it tells you. So that's something that I recommend everybody do. It's one of the first things that I teach is for you to track how much you're bleeding. So if you have to write in your little note section, okay, I filled half a menstrual cup or four tampons or whatever. And we want to know if it's light, medium, heavy bleeding, because that also tells us what's normal, what's abnormal. Typically quality period will be three to seven days in length. So three to seven days of bleeding with at least one medium to heavy day. So you should be able to fill about three to five tampons or so, or pads in a day. That'd be nice and healthy. So once we're moving on from there to track our cycle, one of my favorite things to use nice and easy for anybody getting started, very low entry point, super easy is just taking something called your basal body temperature. So my favorite app to use no affiliation with them. I just absolutely love the app. It's called read your body. So when I like to teach on, it's wonderful. They are absolutely incredible there. So definitely highly recommend and it's super user-friendly and you can track all of these things. So it's really nice to track your cycle and be able to get all these data points, but start with your temperature. As soon as you wake up in the morning, before you drink water, get out of bed, go pee, anything, just pop an oral thermometer under your tongue, wait for the beep, and then put that into your app. And what you'll start to see is before ovulation, temperatures are nice and low. They're usually in the early 36 degrees Celsius ish area range. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they're about 36.6 or above. So you usually notice quite a big temperature rise and that's healthy temperatures. Sometimes people can have, you know, lower temperatures, but that's a whole other can of worms, (laughs) but ideally you're going to see lower temperatures pre-ovulation and then higher temperatures post-ovulation. So that's a nice, really easy entry point for people to start tracking their cycle. And then that's really easy for you to see, okay, did I have a temperature increase or is my temperature just ping-ponging all over the place, like my whole cycle. So I'd say that's the easiest place to start. And then we can get into things like luteinizing hormones, cervical fluid, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But to start for charting basics, chart your period, chart the length of your cycle, your entire cycle, period to period, and then take your basal body temperature, get a sense of if you're ovulating or not. Now, if someone doesn't have a bad period, isn't trying to get pregnant, what's the benefit of them tracking their cycle and doing all this? Love this question. Yes. (laughs) So not only is it fabulous for hormonal healing, getting an idea of what's going on, and especially if you are struggling, but even if you're not, we want to know, are you consistently ovulating every single month? Because ovulation is the most important piece of your cycle. We call it a menstrual cycle should be called an ovulation cycle (laughs) because that's the whole thing. That's a whole big mama of your entire cycle. But what it really does is just tell us about your health, your hormonal activity. And we want to make sure, even if you are not struggling with PMS, heavy painful periods, et cetera, 
it is really helpful to know just overall about your health, about your hormonal activity. And it's important that we can at least check those boxes because we might see things that are abnormal, but we wouldn't know that unless Mm -hmm. we're actually tracking. So we'd be surprised to see, even if we don't have painful periods or like a lot of PMS, maybe we're noticing, okay, we're a little too moody, a little too irritable the week before we get a little too much breast tenderness. We can start to dive into that and we can see, do you have a healthy ovulation? We can check in on your thyroid health by taking a look at your temperatures and we can ask more questions from there. So I do just find it to be absolutely wonderful, whether or not you're struggling with your cycle, just to get more information on your overall body and form that deeper connection. That really is what cycle tracking is about and understanding all of this cycle education. It's just empowerment and really understanding your body, getting to know your hormones, getting to know how you feel in each phase of your cycle, making sure that everything is working well. And then of course we want to know, are you fertile? Are we not having ovulatory cycles? Mm -hmm. It's also really helpful there to check in on fertility, make sure that everything is running smoothly. So I've had it before where like, you know, my period comes a week late or like a day late. What does that mean? Like, is that cause for concern or like, is that just normal and like stress? I've like heard Okay. Like like growing up was like totally normal. (laughs) Yeah. What is so fascinating to know and something that would have saved us so much stress as young women would be that your period is never actually late. That's something Mm. that will blow so many of our minds. I was like, what? I was like, oh no, my period's late. Cause like I've experienced that before, but your period is never actually late. It all depends on the day that you ovulate. So what's super fascinating about the human body of a menstruating individual is that after you ovulate, there is a finite amount of time that will pass before you get your next period. And it has to be about nine to 18 days in a healthy cycle. The average person will have about 12 days of what we call a luteal phase and a luteal phase is just that time from ovulation till your next period. And what's really fascinating is that once you have a pattern going, so this would be six plus months off birth control or like after you give birth or anything like that, after your cycle has been regulated, you will find a sweet spot and that won't vary more than about two days, which is really interesting. So if you can figure out, okay, what day do I ovulate and cough, cough, we figure that out with cervical fluid, temperature, Mm -hmm. LH, like all that stuff. We can pinpoint it pretty much exactly. Then you can say, okay, in 12 days, I'm going to get my period in 14 days. I'm going to get my period. And then, you know, if you ovulate like 15 days later than you usually do in that cycle, because you got COVID or you're stressed Mm -hmm. or you're moving, or like you broke up with your partner, something stressful happened in your life or things are changing, then, you know, okay, cool. No stress, but my period's going to be 15 days later than I would usually expect it. Huh? So you can imagine we go through stressful things all the time. Yeah. At every moment, your body is assessing, is this a good time to ovulate? Is this a good time for us to procreate, to carry a baby? Or should we hold off and ovulate a little bit later? Cause she's under a lot of stress. And if you're under stress, like I'm not even kidding you. Some people they're like, I was moving when I was ovulating and it delayed my ovulation. Like that's the kind of stuff we'll see. It can really vary person to person and situation to situation. So Something that will blow your mind. Never having a late period. All depends on what you ovulate or on when you ovulate. That is so fascinating. Yeah. And the fact that your body just like knows. Okay. Sorry. I'm so like, cool. need a second to digest that. That's, that's so interesting. I, know, I, I love The human it. body is incredible. It's amazing. That. It's And I always say too, like, your body always wants to get pregnant when you're in your fertile years. Even if you personally like uh-huh. Vanessa today, this cycle does not need to get pregnant, <laughs> but my body's like every cycle, please get pregnant. Please get pregnant. Like that's huh. your whole, that's the whole point. 
of your cycle. Every cycle, we're hoping that the egg will get fertilized, that it will implant. So of course your body is super intelligent. It is not going to waste that entire cycle ovulating in a stressful time and potentially having it be an unsuccessful ovulation or it be something that can't maintain a pregnancy to term or something like that. So your body is always assessing, is this a good time? Should we hold off a couple of weeks? Like what's going on here? And that's also why it's super important when we look at nutrition, digestion, liver function, like your body as a whole, if we are having cycle problems, we can almost always restore that balance. When we look at, is your body feeling safe enough to ovulate? Does it have the nourishment to ovulate? So down another tangent, but overall no such thing as late period, but we got to figure out when you're ovulating. Yeah. Okay. Now for like the different parts of the like cycle for ovulation, is that like when you're ovulating, you can get pregnant or is it like part of the ovulation? Like how does, how does all of that work? Yes. Okay. So huge misconception is that you can get pregnant every day of your cycle. When we're in high school, it's like literally like coach car from mean girls, like don't get uh-huh. pregnant or like don't have sex. <laughs> you'll get pregnant and die. Like that's what everyone feels. Uh-huh. They're like, this is so wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I have to take birth control or like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what we want to remember is that you can get pregnant a maximum of six days in your cycle because okay. something called that I've mentioned before cervical fluid. So this is the stuff I essentially say, the stuff Mm -hmm. that you find in your underwear. Every girl knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's that stretchy, clear, slippery stuff. Sometimes it's white and creamy, but essentially in a nutshell, Cole's notes, cervical fluids job is to keep sperm alive in your body. And it can do this up to five days before ovulation. So your body's really smart. 24 hours of an egg surviving and awaiting fertilization isn't enough time. Cause of course we've got an entire cycle to work with. So your body's like, you know what, we're going to create cervical fluid and give us another five days to be able to be fertile. So technically when we're looking really specific, you can get pregnant for a maximum of six days because that's the five days before your ovulation day. If you have fertile cervical fluid and then 24 hours of ovulation. So six days, but a lot of the time we can get cervical fluid for less than five days or longer than five days. So it's a misconception that it can be every day, but it Mm -hmm. also won't just be like, okay, I'm going to pick these six days. And then those are the only six days I'm ever going to be fertile. Hmm. We have to be tracking our cycle to be seeing it, but essentially you're exactly right. Like you can get pregnant. The, the only time you can actually get pregnant is during ovulation. Cause that's only when the egg oh. is waiting to be fertilized in your fallopian tubes. But the days leading up to that, if you do have sperm in your body, your cervical fluid, you bet your bottom dollar is going to find it say, okay, you're going to hang out with me. It's going to filter out the slow moving immobile sperm, going to find the healthy, strong ones. And it's going to say, okay, we're going to hold on to you for as long as we can. Hopefully we'll ovulate before you die. And if we do ovulate, we're going to shuttle you up through the cervix and go have you meet that egg. So your body is fascinating with how much it can communicate that way, but technically it is only that six days. However, it can kind of vary cycle to cycle, depending on how much cervical fluid you get. So you have your ovulation and then we have something called your ovulatory window. And that would be, if you're using the fertility awareness method for birth control in your ovulatory window, we wouldn't have any unprotected sex. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I think it was like two points. So you were talking about how like digestion, like diet, all of that plays into this. How does what we eat affect our menstrual cycle? And like, like why, I guess, does it? Oh yeah. Okay. So one of my favorite things in the whole world is helping with PMS, mostly just from a digestion nutritional perspective. It is fascinating how you can use this free medicine and literally 
change your life when it comes to your cycle. It is absolutely fascinating. So the reason why nutrition, digestion, liver health, exercise, et cetera, sleep quality, stress, like Mm -hmm. all of that impacts your menstrual cycle is for a few reasons. Number one is because your nutrition offers building blocks for your hormones, your hormones. You've got two types of hormones. When we talk about your menstrual cycle, we've got non-steroid hormones. Those are made of protein. So amino acids, love my ladies eating a lot of protein, super, super important. And then we've got our steroid hormones that are made of fat and cholesterol. So we need a lot of protein, a lot of fat, a lot of cholesterol, which is usually very contrary to what we are usually taught. Low fat, low cholesterol, like be very, very careful. And then everyone should be plant-based or vegan, et cetera. Mm. Like it's all good. But something that we need to remember is that if your hormones don't have those building blocks, your cycle physiologically cannot take place. If Mm. we can't make our hormones properly, or it's going to do everything it can to have that cycle, but it's going to go crazy. Like you're going to have problems with ovulation or with your period. And we're going to have symptoms like left, right, and center. So first and foremost is we need to get the building blocks. We need to have extra nutrients to make those hormonal conversions. And your liver is so important in this process as well. It's your major organ of detoxification. And our liver is always filtering through literally everything we put in our body, but also all of our hormones. So when you're on something like hormonal birth control, your liver can take quite a hit. And if you're off hormonal birth control, we need to make sure that your liver can filter through, metabolize all of those hormones, make sure that conversions are happening properly. So it's very interconnected to the overall cycle. So I'd say building blocks and making sure those added nutrients to help with conversions in the process are super important. So those are things like protein, like I said, your B vitamins, super important, zinc, magnesium, selenium, like all of those are just super crucial. So ideally whole foods based. We have a lot of quality animal protein, a lot of vegetables, good quality fats like butter and coconut oil, olive oil, et cetera. Usually we can do most of it through food, but you might need some supplementation. Mm. And then when we're looking at digestion, of course we can eat the healthiest food in the world. You can take all the supplements, eat the best food, but if you can't digest it and you can't assimilate those nutrients, we're going to have some problems. So someone I can run into someone and work with someone who's like, I eat squeaky clean. Like what is going on? But I feel like crap. I'm not energized. I'm not going to the bathroom properly. Like what's going on. And then we also see there's probably some cycle problems hidden in there because of course they're all connected. And that usually is because we have a breakdown in the digestive system. Either we're struggling with bloating or we can absorb our nutrients properly and we can't get them to where they need to go to make those hormones, to metabolize certain areas of the body. So that's kind of how we dip our toes into how they're all kind of interconnected. And then with the stress part as well, are you eating enough food? Does your body feel supported enough to even ovulate? Are we having those precursor nutrients and things like that? Interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually never thought about the connection with birth control and the liver. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could have a whole other set of questions for that, but oh now that we're talking about birth control, what are your thoughts? One on hormonal birth control. And then I guess two, maybe I don't actually know. We're just going to start with that. Okay. Hormonal birth control. How do we feel about it? Let's think about it. So first of all, um, I personally don't think anyone should be necessarily for or against mm-hmm. it's always. So it's never my job, even though I'm a fertility awareness method educator, mm-hmm. this is like what I do on a regular basis. People are saying, what birth control do I take? Like, how am I supposed to know what's best for my body? You'd expect someone like me to be like birth control is Satan. Like it sucks. It's horrible. Yeah. Like don't take it. It's so bad for you. But what I really am focused on 
is what is the best for your personal body? Most people take hormonal birth control because they have no idea other options mm-hmm. exist. It's like IUDs freak me out. I have hormonal birth control. My doctor says it's going to make my period better and my acne go away. So I feel like, how can I lose? Like I get a free lunch. Uh, We need to remember, okay, yes, birth control is incredibly liberating. I took hormonal birth control pretty much all throughout my teens, helped me a lot at the time with acne. Of course it came back later. That's another conversation. But at that time, I probably did not have the skills and the patience to learn something like the fertility awareness method. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm very grateful to something like hormonal birth control at that time. And sometimes the women that I'm working with, they're like, you know what? given all the pros and cons of each method, I think I'm going to choose a hormonal IUD or hormonal birth control. And that's cool. All we care about is that it's an educated decision. And the unfortunate reality is that most of them aren't. We know that 60 plus percent of women who take hormonal birth control, take it for reasons that have nothing to do with getting pregnant, which is crazy. It's mm-hmm. to regulate, regulate cycles, calm symptoms of PMS. It's for all these different things. So I'm not necessarily for or against a specific type of birth control. I am more so just saying, okay, we are going to look at things totally objectively. Let's Mm -hmm. just look at the pros and cons of each method. That's something that I'll do a lot with my clients and with anyone else that is learning this kind of information is we'll look pros and cons of hormonal birth control, mini pill, IUD, fertility awareness method, et cetera, patch pill, injection, like all that stuff. And we say, okay, what are the benefits? And then where are the cons? How is it affecting the body? Where are the things hiding that maybe we didn't realize and why are they important? So I personally teach the fertility awareness method. So that is tracking your cycle for birth control, Mm -hmm. super reliable when you can learn from an educator and when you can do it properly. But if you're in a place where you're like, I'm not going to track my cycle, I'm not going to be doing that. Then you bet your bottom dollar. We're probably going to talk about other birth Mm -hmm. control options because what's most important is that you stay sexually protected. So I would say I have mixed feelings about it. For me, it is not my personal choice. I wish I knew more about birth control when I was put on it. Like even if they gave me a flyer, just about like a few things, I'd be like, thank you. I would love to know, but it was just like, take this and see you later. Uh Call me in like 10 years and you'll be fine. So I just wish we had more education around the pros and cons because there are a lot of things lurking in hormones. Of course, Mm -hmm. when you cut off your whole cycle, there's going to be consequences. So I'd say none of us are really for or against birth control. At least I don't think we should Mm be, but personally, I do like to educate more so on Hey, these are some things you might not know about hormonal birth control. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what they mean and then what we can do about it. Interesting. Okay. So for me, I started birth control and then my hormones were kind of all over the place for like a month and then kind of leveled out, but now going off of birth control, how, how do you even begin to navigate? (laughs) How do you navigate like the hormones there? And then how long does it normally take for like your like normal cycle to come back that you can start like accurately tracking it? Okay. Beautiful question. So, so, so important because whenever you talk to anybody, we are usually, they're usually saying, okay, just go off. Like whenever you're ready, just stop taking it. And like, we'll see what happens. Like best of luck to you. But what we actually know is if we are getting ready to transition off something like hormonal birth control, something that, especially if you've been on it, like some of my clients, they go on it when they're 15 and they're like 35 and they're Mm -hmm. like, okay, so now what I haven't ovulated for 20 years. So what am I going to do? Like, I feel like it's not right just to stop cold Turkey. So if you are in a place where you're thinking about it, catch yourself a little early, give yourself one to two months because we want to prep your body to come off birth control. Contrary to what they tell us, it is actually a very stressful thing on the body. Your body's going through a lot of changes at this time. So we want to replenish depleted nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, the combination pill depletes things like B vitamins, folate, vitamin C and E, magnesium, 
zinc and hint. Those are all things that are important for liver function, for hormonal mm-hmm. activity, right? Like we can see it's all connected. <laughs> so we'd want to replenish depleted nutrients, bring in a little bit of herbal medicine to support the liver because your liver is super taxed on hormonal birth control. And then we want to make sure that your digestion is in tip top shape. So a good bowel movement every single day, making sure it's sinking. It should look like a brown banana, super important because that's how you get rid of your excess hormones. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those three would be super important if you are in a, in the fortunate place where you're kind of before transitioning uh-huh. off, you're lucky to catch this, but if you are <laughs> transitioned off already, that's okay. Our general rule of thumb is if you had regular cycles before birth control. So if you can think of, and you can maybe tell me like, were your cycles regular before birth control? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So if you can't remember necessarily, just if a listener is like, I don't, I don't remember. It's been so long. Usually if you can't remember, that's a good sign because if yeah. you were regular, you'd probably know. So you can go off of, yes, they were regular. Mm-hmm. If they were regular before hormonal birth control, usually most often we will see your cycle return in the first three months off birth control, 90 days. That's kind of the amount of time we want to give before mm-hmm. it's weird. If it's not there. Yeah. If they were a regular before birth control, so maybe your doctor diagnosed you with PCOS when you were really young, or they were just all over the place, super painful, something like endometriosis, or you never had a cycle. You'd be surprised the amount of women I work with who are like, I got put on birth control because I wasn't getting my period. So with that kind of data, we need to give a little bit more of a grace period. Mm -hmm. And that's usually about six months. So if you haven't had your period return, any sign of ovulation, like it's dormant down there, we don't see any activity within six months, then we want to see, okay, what's going on? Have we developed something like post-pill PCOS? Are we having fertility issues? Mm-hmm. Is there a blockage anywhere? Are our hormones going crazy? Like what's happening? So I'd say first, give yourself a good three months if they were regular or about six months if they were irregular and just let your body ride it out. Take your temperature, look at things like cervical fluid, and you can mm-hmm. find PDFs about that all over the internet. Super, super easy to learn. And just a little quick thing. One of my favorite books, if you are really interested in this kind of stuff is called Take Taking charge of your fertility by Tony Weschler, I think is her name. Change your life. Amazing. It'll teach you everything you need to know about your cycle. Super easy entry. So give yourself a little bit of a grace period because everything's fair game. Like Mm -hmm. your body is like the blindfold is off. We have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) Like we have not ovulated in a minute. Like we're trying to figure out how much progesterone needs to go over here. It's like, we're making that recipe for ovulation and your ovaries are like, they're cobwebs down here. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so give yourself a little bit of time, but I would still be looking for temperature rises. Are we getting any symptoms of PMS? Are we getting any spotting? Any type of movement down there is good. The worst thing to see is just temperatures going crazy. No period, no cervical fluid, no nothing. And you're like, it's like dormant. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So ideally we are going to see like some mood swings, some things that are going to be around that area. And that would be really, really helpful for us to get that information. So definitely track your temperature at the very least, look into cervical fluid, but give yourself a grace period because Mm -hmm. things can go crazy. And then after that approximate like three month period, it should start to regulate. Usually your first cycle will be hella long. It's usually Mm -hmm. like 45, 60, sometimes 70 days. Like it can be super, super long and that's okay. As long as each cycle after that starts to come back into a nice Mm -hmm. normal range. So I'd say be gentle with yourself. 
Do as much as you can to support your body nutritionally, liver health, digestion, go on walks, get sunshine, sleep well, like give your body the support it needs, but don't be looking at it with a fine tooth comb because it needs some time to figure out what's going on. And then if we're going to run into post-pill problems or post-birth control problems, which sadly a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. So acne, hair loss, mood swings, PMS, like all that kind of fun stuff. That's usually about three to six months post-birth control. So be on the lookout for that because otherwise it'll smack you across the face. Yeah. Like I feel amazing. And then you like break out like four months off why it happens about three to six months. Your body's still figuring it out. It's making too much of certain hormones, too little of others. And that's usually when we run into problems. Okay. I'm glad you said the hair loss thing. Cause I've been losing hair and was so confused. And my friends and I were like, we have no idea what, but it all makes mm-hmm. sense now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we, we know go. that post-pill hair loss is a thing. So unfortunate. Like why? Yeah. come on. Are you kidding me? Like, but the thing is, is unfortunately we go through that phase because again, if, if, even if you look it up, it's like documented everywhere. There are studies about it, which is ridiculous, but it's, it's studied. So that's good. We get some information. It's because your body is going through that type of stressful situation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if we aren't supporting the body properly, so usually we can do things to kind of slow that down, or at Mm -hmm. least like shorten the amount of time that you're going to be struggling with this. But usually your hair is growing for a certain length of time. And then it goes to the resting phase. But we know that after a certain amount of time off birth control, usually within that six month period, especially Mm -hmm. we go right to the resting phase. So your hair will just fall out sometimes in clumps or it can bring other hairs with it that are like full grown. It's like, what's going on. But unfortunately it speeds up the, it goes only in the growth process for so long before uh-huh. it goes resting and then it falls out. So it's huh. unfortunate, but it happens when we go through a stressful situation. So it can also happen with other stressors in your life as well. Yeah. Okay. That's so cool. I'm like, I'm so sorry. glad I'm learning all of this. <laughs> and I'm also kind of disappointed. This is the first time learning. <laughs> I know. Oh, Jasmine, I know. I know. But better late than never. Right. True. It's true. Uh, Then, how do fertility and hormones change as you get older? And I'll say, is there like a kind of like landmarks of like when you're like this old, this tends to happen, or is it kind of like different for everyone? Totally. So, completely different for everybody, but we have general time frames. Mm -hmm. So, we call it Um, like early reproductive peak reproductive. And then we're kind of getting into perimenopause, menopause, like that kind of area. And then no longer are you having a cycle. Mm -hmm. So up until you're about 20 years old, it's totally normal for your cycles to be irregular for some of them to be short, some of them to be long, your body's just figuring it out. So we usually see that from ages now, like women are getting their periods so early, like 11 or 12, Mm -hmm. but usually it'd be more like 15, 16 up until when you're 20, but anywhere in that area. So if you're earlier than like 20 years old, if you're younger, it's totally cool. If your cycles are a little bit irregular. Don't stress about it. From when we look at about 21 up until approximately as we start to enter our forties, this is where we are more so in our peak reproductive years, especially in twenties. And then when we look at early thirties and then after that, just slowly ovarian function starts to decline, eggs start to die. And we don't have as much of a reservoir when we're looking at fertility, but that is when we are in peak reproductive. So throughout our twenties, early thirties, like that's the time that is when we are going to see the strongest hormonal activity, most estrogen, most progesterone, usually when you're cycle is going to be the most regular. And then we start to run into changes again when we go through menopause. So that will usually be anywhere from like 45, 55, anywhere in that range is pretty typical. And it completely depends on your body, how your body takes this whole process of no longer having a cycle. Some people notice it is 
kind of symptomless or it's like, it kind of sucks. Cause I mean, everyone is struggling mm-hmm. a little bit. It's like your body's going through a major change, yeah. but some people it's like, Oh my God, like I'm not even myself anymore. They need hormone replacement therapy. Like it can mm-hmm. be really hard on your body. So same as w- when you're coming off birth control or any other major change, be very patient, go see someone who is specialized in hormones, mm-hmm. take a look at some endocrinologists, talk to people who specialize in hormone replacement therapy. Cause if you're in that stage of life, that can absolutely change your life. If we are mm-hmm. supplementing with like bio identical progesterone and things like that, that can be amazing. And then once we move through menopause and we're in post-menopause, your ovaries are no longer active. We're no longer creating cycles. So we're no longer fertile. And this is when a lot and a lot of women experience problems because Mm -hmm. estrogen levels can get too low or too high. We can gain a lot of weight. We can feel really tired, really bogged down. So at each stage, we need to learn how to support our body differently because what a postmenopausal woman will need is someone who's different than what they need when they're 25 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, like totally different nutritional profile, totally different things that we can play around with that that body needs to feel its best and to function at its best. So it does change quite a bit, but we more so have those kind of landmarks of like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is when my cycle is regulated and when I'm most fertile. And then this is when I start to get out of my fertile years and in my fertility declines. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then just as like a kind of wrapping up question, what are some resources you recommend for women trying to learn? You did mention the book and I think an app, but yes. Yes. So read your body app. Fabulous. It is absolutely wonderful. Their, their site also has tons of resources. They have a lot of like fertility awareness method educators, write blogs for them and things like that. So check them out. They're absolutely wonderful. My favorite app to use personally, and then taking charge of your fertility by Tony Weschler is a fabulous book. A couple others that I would recommend is the period repair manual by Laura Bryden, Dr. Laura Bryden, fabulous book, especially if you're experiencing what you suspect to be imbalanced hormones. So that is anything to do with cycle problems. Problems, but also mm-hmm. things like low energy, brain fog, acne, hair loss, like bloating, things like that. You can find a lot of answers in that book. Some of it is very basic and then some of it gets a little bit more intense. So if you are struggling with the overall education of it and you're like, I don't know how to make sense of this might be worth it to work with somebody else. But I would say for free resources that are like low cost resources. Uh-huh. And then Dr. Jolene Brighton is another one of my favorite people in the world. She got me like so obsessed with this. She's so fun. If you listen to her on podcasts, like she's just a ball of energy and I love her. She's also hilarious on Instagram. She is like the first person that I've really noticed make women's health and hormonal healing and menstrual cycle education fun. Like mm-hmm. she is a hoot. She's all over TikTok. Like she's just a fucking hoot. So Jolene Brighton, and she has a bunch of books, but her particular book is called beyond the pill. It will change your life. Read it. If you are on birth control, just to learn more about birth control. If you're off birth control, you learn about your body. It is absolutely fabulous. So I would say those are kind of my, my top three when mm-hmm. it comes to books and things like that. Hey, and then where can people find you like on a website, Instagram? Do you have a TikTok? <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I'm on Instagram, not on TikTok yet. But I mean, maybe I'll transfer over one day. Who knows? I'm like scared. I'm going to get addicted. I'm like, I feel like if I yeah. start, like all my friends that are on TikTok, they're like, I'm always on TikTok. Uh-huh. And I can't stop. So I'm like, you know what? I feel like I just won't go because then I won't know what I'm missing. Uh-huh. If I start, I won't stop. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. Uh-huh. I'm at Vanessa Oli Wellness everywhere. So on Instagram. And then that's also my well or my website, VanessaOliWellness.com. Yeah, and that's where you can find me. That's where I'm most active. It's pretty much just those two. Yeah. And we love your Instagram page and all the videos you make. It's so educational. And like, you also make it fun. So now I can't wait to look at the other 
girl you just you mentioned because if you said she's fun I can only oh, imagine yeah. get ready she's <laughs> honestly so funny I love her so much she's like my dream I'm like that's my idol right there yeah and she's got like curly like really really curly hair I'm like I think we're we're sisters I yeah guess, in another life I love you Jolie if she ever hears this I love you Jolie <laughs> Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. It was such a pleasure having you. And as always, if anyone has any questions, comments, or concerns, they can reach us at Instagram at theholyship.podcast or our Gmail is theholyship.podcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if everyone could give us a rating on Apple or Spotify um, and just leave a review for us. So that would be great. Hope everyone has a great week.